morning, new life. One more morning. So, did you hear the story of the young minister? He got this job at this old country church. It was his first ministry. And he had his first, first funeral, first funeral at the building. So he's kind of nervous about it. And before the service, the pallbearers asked, hey, would you, after the service, lead the procession out to the side of the church building where there's the cemetery where we're going to intern our friend? Would you lead us in that? And he was like, oh, well, I think I can do that. I think I can do that. And so he gets through the sermon. He gets through the service. Everything goes well. Oh, breathe a sigh of relief. He gets in front of everybody. He gets in front of the pallbearers. He leads everybody down the aisle of the church. He takes a right towards the side of the building, sees the door, opens up the door. Revealing the storage closet. Yeah, it's a leadership fail. I don't know if you've ever been there before. But if you've been a leader, you've been there before. Where you're like, hey, follow me. We're going over here. This is going to be great. And you've got this vision. And then people start following you. And it just doesn't turn out the way that you had envisioned it. You're like, oh, man, I hope this doesn't ruin my credibility, my influence as a leader. My leadership is hard. It's always going to be difficult. But that's why I hope you appreciate Preston and the leadership that he's brought to this campus over the last year. You know, Preston's come in with a fresh vision to try some new things, take a risk. And I'm going to follow his lead and going to do what we've been doing on Sunday mornings. And we're going to share, we're going to reflect on what we've done this past week to obey the voice of God. Okay, so in the next few moments, I want you to think, reflect, look over the past week and say, you know, how did I do maybe applying that I will statement from last week's sermon? Or, you know, how did I serve somebody this week? How did I follow in the footsteps of Jesus? Maybe you got to share your faith with somebody. Maybe you prayed for somebody. Just think about that in the next few moments. Turn to your neighbor, share, and then I'll ask a couple people to volunteer and share what they shared or what they heard. Take the moments. Let's share together. All right, if you're still sharing, keep sharing. But I do want to ask for a couple volunteers, a couple people to take a risk, okay, be a leader, and just raise your hand if you're willing to share. Either what you shared or maybe you heard somebody and you want to, just want to brag on them. All right, who's willing to share? share Preston, I was going to bring a mic to you so you could share. Who's willing to share? Okay. Hello. Hello. Um, well, just this morning, throughout the week, we try to make, you know, reading our Bible a priority and just having the kids um, see us in the Word. Um, and this morning, our daughter, Avaya, she, like, came out of her room. She was ready for church, and she had her Bible with, like, a, she had written on a notepad just a bunch of Bible verses that stood out to her from her reading this morning. And she was just glowing. She just, like, was so 
filled with the Spirit, really. She was like, these just really stood out to me, and let me share. You know, this one was where um, Jesus healed someone, and what really spoke to me was, like, how Jesus will let us suffer, because she has a couple of health things that she deals with, where she's like, Jesus will let us suffer to, not because of our sin, not because we did anything to deserve it, but so that he can be glorified in it. And so if my suffering is going to glorify God, then I'm okay with that. <laughs> so nice. it was just, it was cool. It was cool to hear her say that. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. That's awesome. Very cool. Very cool. All right, one more person. Just one more person. One person willingness to share. We had a baby shower at my house yesterday, and it's not the baby shower that I'm talking about that was the sharing. It was the impact it had on my neighbors. After it was over with, my neighbors were all texting me, and some of them came over and said, so was it your birthday? Because they saw ladies coming in, and I said, no. And I explained the circumstance. It's like, no, this is my church's women's ministry. We gave a baby shower to one of the members of our church, and they all went, wow. So I'm thinking that that was a brick to be laid down mm -hmm. as a to stand on to have further conversations about our church and the women's ministry because they for some reason they were in awe of that nice we take it for granted that's awesome taking the lead taking the lead not only sharing but providing a baby shower that's awesome so today we're talking about common sense leadership as we continue our study through the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians, we've learned, is a letter written to Christians in the first century who were trying to figure out, so what does it look like to follow Jesus in a world that's constantly running away from him? It was inspired by the Holy Spirit, written by the Apostle Paul, who had actually helped start this church in the ancient city of Corinth. And we're going to see kind of behind the scenes how Paul is going to teach us some basic leadership principles basic leadership principles from what he shares in the text today. John Maxwell is kind of a leadership guru. He's written countless books about leadership. And he says this is what a leader does. He says a leader knows the way, they go the way, and they show the way. Yeah, he says that's what a leader does. They know the way, they go the way, they show the way. And unfortunately, like our first story, sometimes as leaders, we just don't know the way. Like I, 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 for, for me, right, there are days where people are like, hey, Sean, where are we going? Where are we heading? You know, where are you taking the gym? Where are you going to do with this? I, I don't know. I don't know. But I know if one thing I can do to be a good leader is just to help the people that are following me to become better leaders. If I can help them grow in their influence, then I will be doing my job at being a leader. That's one thing we're going to learn today as we open up our text. So open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 8, starting in verse 16. Starting in verse 16 text says this, thanks be to God who put the same concern for you into the heart of Titus. For he welcomed our appeal and being very diligent went out to you by his own choice. And so the Apostle Paul is introducing us to this guy Titus who's a disciple of his, an understudy of his. Who he's sent out to go and take this letter to the church. And one thing we see here is that the Apostle Paul, he understands that if he thinks he's going to take the gospel, the good news of Jesus, to the entire world, then he's going to be the lid on the organization. 
right? He's going to be the thing that stifles the growth of Christianity if he's got to do it all by himself. So what does he do? He finds other people to disciple, other people to reproduce himself into. That's what good leaders do. Good leaders develop others. Good leaders develop others. Mediocre leaders, they're just kind of content, kind of fine being an influencer, right, on social media. They're just like, I just want followers. I just want followers. Good, you know, mediocre leaders are fine with producing followers. Great leaders produce other leaders. And, and we see that that's what Paul is doing with Titus and with some other guys he will mention in the text today. Another leadership principle that we see here in this verse is this, that what gets rewarded gets repeated. That's a leadership principle. What gets rewarded gets repeated. Write that down, parents. Right When your kids start sharing Bible verses with you, you reward your kids. You say, that is amazing. That is awesome. Because what gets rewarded gets repeated. He says, hey, thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. He is publicly acknowledging and commending Titus for what he is doing, for stepping out in faith. What gets rewarded gets repeated. Here's another leadership principle. That good leaders choose their teams wisely. Good leaders choose their teams wisely. Now, you might be thinking, but I don't have a team. Right? I don't have a team. I don't, I don't lead an organization. So, so how does this apply to me? Well, it applies to who you're going to invest in, who you're going to disciple, who you're going to mentor. Maybe you are a coach of a sports team, and you're like, I can't coach. I, I don't get to choose who's on my team. But you probably get to choose who's going to be the captain who you're going to help develop to be a leader. you got to choose those people wisely. Good leaders choose their teams wisely. Several years ago, Passion for Planting, our church planting ministry, was conducting a church planting boot camp. Church planters had come in from all over the country to learn about church planting. And I, I invited Peter Kim, who's an owner-operator of a couple Chick-fil-A restaurants, in the Chantilly area, to come in and teach these church planters about developing a culture of excellence. Developing a culture of excellence. Because if there's one thing Chick-fil-A knows, is excellence. Like, I, I don't know about you, but the first time I went to Chick-fil-A, I think I was 24, didn't know anything about Chick-fil-A growing up in Buffalo, but I go down to Florida for a conference, and I step into Chick-fil-A for the first time, I'm like, what is going on here? Like, why are the lights so bright? Why is it so clean? Why are the employees so friendly? Why are they opening up doors and, you know, getting people refills and saying my pleasure? Like, it didn't make any sense. I, I worked for a fast food restaurant at the time up in Buffalo. I'm like, this is insane. This is not how we treat customers at Mighty Taco. I'll tell you that much, okay? Like, I, I, get, to, I get in line, get, place my order. I step aside, okay, I'm waiting for my food. I'm waiting maybe two minutes, maybe two minutes. The manager comes out to me, she says, you're still waiting for your food? I'm like, yeah, I mean, it's been like two minutes. It's all good. Like, she goes, oh, no, it's free. And here's a free Chick-fil-A coupon for a free sandwich. I'm like, what? <laughs> this doesn't make any sense. What? And so I'm like, okay, like this is totally different than my, totally different from Taco Bell, right? I don't know if you've ever been to Taco Bell. Okay, listen, we've all been to Taco Bell, okay? We've all been there, right? You go up to the cash register and it's like, I see, there's people back there. I see there, there are people working. When are they going to help me? Like, you're like, is there some bell I got to ring? Like, and then finally they like notice you and they're like, it's like you're their cat. You know, they're the cat. It's like, oh, you're here. <laughs> you're back again. It's like. 
yeah, I'd love to give you money so I can get some food, if that would be all right. <laughs> totally different experience at Chick-fil-A. So I asked Peter, I was like, how do you do that? I asked him, like, do you give your employees drugs before they come into work, like happy drugs? Like, I don't understand. He goes, he goes no, Sean. He goes, w really, we're just very selective in who we hire. We're very particular about who we hire. We find the right team members. And he says, he says, we are very open and honest about our mission. He says the mission of Chick-fil-A is to glorify God and to be a steward of everything he's entrusted to us. He says every single employee has a little card that they put in their pocket. And they've got to have it when they're working. And it tells them the mission. It tells them our values. It reminds them of what they're a part of here. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. Choose, okay, choose your employees wisely. Okay. I said, but... Um, uh, what else do you do? He goes, well, I just shower them with love. Once on the team, I shower them with love. As the leader, I shower them with love. He says, if an employee calls in sick, doesn't matter if they're a manager, doesn't matter if they're a cashier, is I will go and take them chicken noodle soup. I will take them chicken noodle soup just to let them know that I care about them. I'm, I love them. Okay, shower with love. Okay, I was like, but but there's got to be like some sort of standard operating procedure that every Chick Fil A has to follow because I've been to several now and they're all the same. Everybody's happy. Everybody's like very efficient. Everything's very clean. So there's got to be like standard operating procedures from corporate telling you this is how you make the milkshakes and this is how you clean this and this is how you do this. He goes, nope. He says we have oh we have autonomy to figure out how we can best efficiently run this restaurant, and and my managers. I don't have, you know, I don't figure it out for them. I give them the authority to figure out how do you do this in your area and go do it. I'm like, that's insane. That's insane. I don't understand how you do it. But he says, it all starts with Sean choosing your team wisely. And so as people who want to be leaders, people who want to have influence, we've got to be careful and very wise about who we're inviting onto our teams to work with or people that we're discipling. So what do we look for? What do we look for in people to disciple, people to mentor, people to ask to join our team? I'm going to talk about the four C's today. This is something that we use at New Life, and this is also something that we see in the text. So number one, look for people that are called. Look for people that have a sense of calling on their life to be on your team or to disciple. You know, we see that Titus had that. Titus had that. Paul says that he went out to you by his own choice. I don't know exactly how it happened, but I, I imagine, you know, Paul's writing this letter. And Titus is seeing him, right? He's seeing him, hey, Paul, okay, you're writing this letter. Who's it to? Oh, it's to the Corinthian church. Oh, well, that's, a, that's, that's quite a journey. Like, are you going to go there? I don't, I don't know if I can, I don't know if I have the time, you know. That's a far journey. I don't know if I can make it. I mean, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a great sacrifice. You're going to have to leave your job. And Titus says, put me in, coach. I can go send me. Right, Titus is field called. He's not going to get paid for this. This isn't in, in his contract. But he says, I want to be a part of this special mission. So send me, Paul. He was called. You know, at New Life, we know that when we're inviting people to join our staff, we know that we won't be able to pay them as much as they would make in other industries or in other organizations. But we say, we want you to be here not because of a paycheck, because of a calling, because you're called to the mission of this church. And there have been many people that have left careers where they made a lot of money to come work here at New Life because of the calling, because of the sense of purpose that they get to come and be a part of this church that's making disciples, that make disciples, that's starting churches and starting new churches. 
Here's a, here's a picture of somebody who's, who's called. Here's a Wendy's employee. A person who took this person's order. They say they got a walker and it's raining out. And all of a sudden they see they're getting wet. And so they go and they rush out to a table that's got an umbrella. They get the umbrella off the table and then they just hold it over that customer until they get to their car. They're not getting drenched with rain. I mean, that's calling. That's not in their job description. They're not getting paid extra to do it. But they're saying, hey, I can make a difference way beyond just flipping burgers. It's calling. Here's another picture. Illustrates calling. Here's Palm Palm Pearl Weaver. Palm Palm Pearl Weaver. You can find her in Camp Hill, Pennsylvania. Up 15 uh, by Harrisburg. She was retired and got really bored. So she was like, I'm going to get a job at Arby's. So she got a job at Arby's, taking orders. But she was like, I want to make people's day. I don't want to just, you know, take orders. So she would bring in her pom-poms and do a little cheer before she would take any orders. She would, welcome to Arby's. We're so glad you're here. Nobody asked her to do that, right? Nobody's like, hey, Pearl. You know, back in the 50s, you were quite the cheerleader. Like, I mean, if you could just bring that energy, right? I mean, that would really help sales. It's like nobody asked her. She just had a sense of calling. Like, I can be here to do more than just sell roast beef sandwiches. That's calling. You know, look for people that are called. Whether you're discipling them, they're, they're called to make disciples, they're called to you, they're called to follow, or they're just called to the mission. Maybe you're, right, you're leading at your work. And there are going to be people that are called to your organization because they believe in the mission, and they will go the extra mile just because they believe in that purpose and that mission. So look for people of calling. Secondly, look for people that have compatibility, okay, or chemistry with your team. They're aligned with the vision. Look for compatibility or chemistry in people. 2 Corinthians 8, 18 puts it this way. We have sent with him, okay, sent with Titus, the brother who is praised among all the churches for his gospel ministry. Later on in the text, Paul will talk about another brother who they're going to, who is sent with Titus. Now, I don't know, like, why Paul refers to him as brother, okay? You know, know, this is the brother, uses another brother later on. It's like, I don't know, maybe he forgot his name, okay? I'm just going to be honest with you. Like, if a church leader ever is like, hey, brother, right? You know, hey, sister, broseph, yo, what up? It's probably because they forgot your name, okay? I'm just going to be honest with you. I don't know if that's what Paul's doing here. It's like, what was that guy's name again? I don't know, just call him brother. I don't think so. I think it's probably describing just the affinity that he has for this guy. It's like, we're a part of the same family. We, 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 we've got some chemistry. We like working together. We're like brothers. In verse 23, he describes Titus. He says, he's not, he's, he's not just work. He's my partner. He's my partner. We're co-laborers. And, and if you want to lead an effective team, there's got to be some chemistry, there's got to be some compatibility there. When there's not chemistry, there's a lack of communication, things break down, people start doing things without communicating, and things just don't get done the way that they should. You know, at New Life, we talk about the car and the parking lot test when we're thinking about compatibility things, compatibility issues. Hard to kind of sometimes do it during the interview process, but then later on when we're evaluating, okay, who's a good fit here in our culture, we say, does this person pass the car in the parking lot test? Like when you pull up to the office and you see someone's car in the parking lot, you're like, woo, right? When I pull up to the end zone and I see Preston's car in the parking lot, am I like, yes, 
Preston's here today. We get to work together. It's going to be great catching up. And he'll, well, man, this is, I'm excited. Or am I like, oh, boy. Oh, he's here again. Oh, this is going to be bad. This is, uh, might as well just go home. It's like, it's like, like do, does the people on your team, do they pass the car in the parking lot test? Because chemistry, it, it trumps talent when you're working together as a team. In 1987, the NFL Players Union went on strike. Maybe, maybe some of you remember this. 1987, the players were like, hey, we want all these benefits. And, then, and they're like, so we're just going to go on strike because, well, you guys can't. You know, the league can't go on without us, right? They thought they had a lot of leverage on the owners. And the owners were like, well, we got something else coming. Like, we'll just get replacement players. <laughs> they got replacement players. These guys that couldn't hack it in the NFL, they just start getting them. And they, they put on a show. Those replacement players started selling tickets, and the NFL owners are like, this is great. <laughs> and then, all of a sudden, a few weeks in, some of the star players of the league, the Hall of Fame players, especially the guys that have been in the league in a while, got big contracts, they're like, i got to pay a mortgage. I, I, can't, I can't do this financially anymore. I need to get playing again. And so several players actually crossed the picket line and started playing again, particularly on teams like the Dallas Cowboys. Okay, yeah, the bad Dallas Cowboys, Okay. Guys, like star players, like the quarterback Danny White and running back Tony Dorsett, they cross the picket line. And so now you have some teams like Dallas Cowboys that are a mixture of replacement players and Hall of Fame players. And they're playing teams like the Redskins that are all JV replacement players. And, and so the commentators, people in Vegas, they weren't giving Washington a chance. There's like, there's no way these replacement players can compete with these NFL All-Stars. And you know, and yet you know what one team went undefeated that year? The Redskins. Oh, you're Washington Redskins. Those replacement players didn't lose a game. And then, and then after the strike ended and all the players went back, you know what team continued to struggle for the rest of the year? It was the Dallas Cowboys, right? It was the Dallas Cowboys. Not because they didn't have good players. It's because now there was animosity. Amongst the players that didn't cross the picket line and those that did. There was all this conflict. There was this lack of compatibility and chemistry. Joe Gibbs, the coach of the Redskins at the time, he talked to the players. He said, I hear you guys are going to go on strike. He says, I'm fine with that as long as you all do it together. He says, no one's crossing the picket line by themselves. He says, you're going to do it together. You're going to strike together. You're going to come back together. Because he knew that chemistry trumps talent. And so you've got to look for people that are going to be team players. They're going to stick together when you're looking for people to invest and invite to your team, people to lead. Let's keep moving. The third C is this. Look for people of character. Look for people with the character to invest in. Verse 19 and following says this. And not only that, but he was also appointed by the churches to accompany us in this gracious gift that we are administering for the glory of the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. We are taking this precaution so that no one will criticize us about this large sum that we are administering. Indeed, we are giving careful thought to do what is right, not only before the Lord, but also before people. And so we know the Apostle Paul, he's been traveling around. He's been collecting an offering for the Christians in Jerusalem, in Judea, that were going through a hard time. There was a famine. They needed help. And so the Apostle Paul, he's collecting all this money. But he realizes, he's like, I shouldn't do this by myself. That looks pretty bad. Like, I need accountability if I'm going to be 
distributing this money and collecting it and holding on to it. And so what does he do? He looks for people that are good character, that have good character, that will be people of integrity that can keep him accountable. And who is it? It's the, this person, this brother who's been appointed by the churches. Right? Because the churches realize, okay, this guy's the guy you can trust. He's got character. He can hold you accountable, Paul. And in this, we see that Paul's a man of character as well. He's a man who realizes that he's a sinner, that he's flawed, that, that, that left to his own devices, he might trip and fall. See, that's a, a sign of a person who has character, someone who's humble enough, who is willing to, to subject themselves to accountability. James 4.10 says, hey, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. Yes, humble yourself before the Lord and, and he will lift you up. Meaning, if you want to be a leader that people trust, a, a person of influence, then get some accountability. Because people will then realize that they can trust you because you've got those boundaries in your life. That's why at New Life, our staff has accountability. Right? We've got elders. We've got elders in our church that keep us accountable to theology and doctrine. We've got a finance team that works with the elders to make sure that we're being financially accountable and, you know, Spending our money in a way that glorifies God to be a good steward of the resources that he entrusts to us. It's why as a staff we got some really old-fashioned rules. We oftentimes get a hard time for some of our rules that we have. We don't take meetings with members of the opposite sex behind closed doors. We do in a public place and typically with more than just two people. We don't travel alone in cars with a member of the opposite sex that we're not married to. If we go to conferences, we do it with guys with guys and, and women with women because well, we don't want to put a stumbling block in front of any one of us. We also want to protect the reputation of our church because unfortunately, you can just look at the news feed or you can just look at the Old Testament and find very charismatic leaders, very gifted leaders. Man, they had talent. Samson, you just look at Samson. Like, man, it's hard to find a guy in the Old Testament that had more gifting, more strengths than Samson. Incredible leader, and yet led to his demise because he said, I don't need accountability. I am good all by myself. Guys like Saul, tall, handsome, charismatic. He's got talent, and yet led to his demise because he says, I'm good. I can do this myself. David. David, who's a man actually who had character, but because he lacked accountability and boundary in his life, he ended up committing adultery and killing one of his very own soldiers. I, I pray that we won't be foolish like that, and we would look for people that have character enough to accept accountability into their lives. Because char charisma, yeah, charisma, it'll get you in the door. But character is what's going to keep you there. And so invest in those people with character who are going to have a long-term spiritual influence. Lastly is, is competency. Lastly is competency. Henry Ford said, hey, the question, who ought to be the boss? It's kind of like asking, who ought to sing tenor in the quartet? Well, obviously, the one who can sing tenor. It's like, duh, you know. Sometimes you got to invest in the people who got the skills to pay the bills. Okay, you guys got to find people that have the competency to get the job done. 2 Corinthians 8.22 says, We have also sent with him our brother. This is the other brother. We have often tested him in many circumstances and found him to be diligent. And now even more diligent because of his great confidence in you. 
So Paul's saying, hey, we tested him. Like, we, we gave him responsibilities. And he proved that he had the competency to get the jobs done. Now, out of all the seeds, this is the one that you're like, they don't have to have in spades before you start working with them. Because this is the one that you can really help develop. It, it's hard. It's really hard to develop someone's character. It's really hard to develop someone's personality so they're a good fit. It's, it's hard to develop calling in a person's life. But competency? That's something you can train. Something you can help people develop. That's what Jesus did. Right? Just think about Jesus. He never led a large organization. He didn't write any books. And yet billions of people call themselves followers of Jesus because he took 12 ordinary guys, blue-collar workers, guys that other rabbis had overlooked, and he says, I'm going to train you to become fishers of men. I'm going to train you in some new skills, boys. And then he spent three years with them. And then he modeled for them. He modeled for them. Okay, this is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to do. And he preached the gospel. He preached the good news. He preached about forgiveness and love and all. And he preached. And then he started healing people. And he started praying for people. And he started feeding people. And he said, hey, and now come and help me do that. Come and help me do that. And so they helped him do miracles like the feeding of the 5,000. And, you know, you guys do this. And you distribute the food and put them into these, these groups. So they helped him. And then he just sent them out. He said, hey, you go and do this now. You go and preach. You go and heal the sick. You go and, and cleanse the lepers. And that's what they did. They, didn't, they came back and they reported back. And Jesus gave them feedback. And they had some coaching sessions. And then all of a sudden he just left them. He launched me. He says, now go. Because you're going to go and do what I've been doing. But he says, you're going to do even greater things because I'm leaving. Because I'm sending my Holy Spirit. And that's what they did. They took the gospel all over the world. Why? Because even though at the beginning... They didn't have the competency, even though he had a lot of like, I can't believe you're so dull conversations. He worked with them and helped them develop the competency to be fishers of men. And so maybe your next step today, maybe your next step today is like, I, I really, okay, I want to get, I want to help somebody get better at what they do. I want to help them develop their competency. Follow Jesus' example. Model for them what you want them to do. Assist them. Watch them, give them feedback. And then lead, launch, called MAL. That's, that's the acronym we use when leadership development sometimes, model, assist, watch, and then lead. You know, Malcolm Gladwell in his book, Outliers, he talks about, kind of researches the secret to success. That's what the book is about. And so he looks at successful people, people that were successful in their careers, like stars in sports, like Wayne Gretzky, or in, in, in media and music, like the Beatles, or in, in technology, like Bill Gates. He says, what was the secret to their success? You know, a lot of people, they think it's just talent. You know, they're just really talented people, and they were just lucky. And he says, well, some of it was luck. But really the luck was the fact that they, from a young age, got to start practicing the skills that they needed to be successful. Bill Gates, from a young age, had access to a computer lab. Back when, like, computer labs, like, weren't even a thing. And all of a sudden he could learn how to work on a computer and Develop software from a young age. The Beatles had all these opportunities to play in these little venues. Wayne Gretzky started playing from a young age. And so Malcolm Gladwell, he coined this phrase, the 10,000-hour rule. He says it's the 10,000-hour rule. He says if you want to be proficient in anything, if you want to be the best violinist, right, you want to you know, be a, a professional poker player, I don't know, if you want to be a professional hockey player, if you want to be a professional writer, if you want to be a speaker, whatever it is you want to be good at, he says, you got to put in the time. you got to put in the reps in order for you to be proficient at this skill. 
Now, more research has been done that says, yes, 10,000 hours is about the rule. But what also helps is having coaching. Having coaching, having somebody there to kind of give you some feedback so that those hours are best spent doing the right things. Like Marv Levy, okay, legendary Buffalo Bills coach. Got to get my Buffalo Bills plug here, okay. Marv Levy used to say, he says, practice doesn't make perfect, boys. He says, practice doesn't make perfect. He says, perfect practice makes perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. And so if you want to be proficient in a skill, put in the time, but have the humility to say, I need a coach. I need a, some, somebody to watch me do this and give me critical feedback, and that'll help you grow. Now, you might be thinking like, okay, Sean, like, I've learned some things about leadership today. But I don't understand how this applies to my life. You're like, because I'm not a leader. Like, I'm not leading an organization. I'm not leading a team. I'm not, you know, I'm just not a leader, Sean. And if that's what you're thinking right now, I would say don't sell yourself short. Don't sell yourself short because you know what Jesus calls you to be? Jesus calls you to be a leader. You know, Matthew 5, he looked at his followers and said, hey, if you're going to call yourself a follower of Jesus, you're going to be part of my kingdom? He says, you are the light of the world. He looked at us, he says, you're the light of the world. You're the light of Gainesville, you're the light of Manassas, you're the light of Noxville. He says, you are the light of the world. He says, and a city on a hill cannot be hidden. He says, so if you have a light, he says, don't, don't cover it up. Don't, don't hide it under a bushel. He says, put that light on a stand so that all, everyone can see it. What is he saying? He is saying you're to be an influence. You're to be a leader. You're to take the light into the darkness and make a difference. So he says, hey, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds. And they may glorify your Father in heaven. And you still might be thinking, but I mean, my light's not very bright. I don't have much influence, so how do I do that? Well, I'll just end with this story. It's a true story about a young man named Johnny. Johnny worked for this large grocery store chain. Several years ago, they brought all their frontline employees that, who interacted with customers, cashiers, customer service, the car guys, brought them all together for a corporate training where they brought in motivational speaker, speaker Barbara Glantz. Brought her in. She gave this motivational talk about how, you know, you need to come to work and you should come to do more than just get a paycheck, more than just check people out. You should come to work with a sense of purpose to make somebody's day. You should come to make somebody smile. So that was her challenge. And then at the end of her talk, like she always did, she gave everybody her phone number. Says, this is my phone number. Give me a call if you have a story about how you make somebody's day. I'd love to hear it. So a couple weeks later, Barbara gets a phone call from Johnny. Johnny's this young man who's a bagger at the grocery store. And she said, Barbara, I was at that train. I really liked what you had to say. But I'll admit, I didn't think it could apply to me. Like, I'm, I'm just a bagger. And then he said, and I've got Down syndrome. I've got Down syndrome. He was very open and honest about that. He said, I got Down syndrome. I didn't really think I could make much of a difference at my store. But then he said, but then I got this idea. Then I got this idea that, that I could come up with a thought of a day, an encouraging thought of the day. And my dad actually helped me. He helped me learn how to use the computer. And so I would look, look for thoughts of the day on the Internet. And if I didn't find one that I liked, I just made one up. I just made one up. And he said, I started putting six on a piece of paper, printing them out and making 50 copies. And then I, and then I cut them up in these little strips of paper. And then when people would come through my line, I'd put one thought into their bag and tell them, hey, I just put an encouraging word in your bag. I hope it encourages you. Thanks for shopping here. That's what, that's what he did. And 
Well, Barbara was like, man, that's, that's great, Johnny. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for sharing. A couple weeks later, Barbara gets a call from the store manager. Store, store manager calls Barbara and says, Barbara, you won't believe what's happening here. The other day, I, was, I, was, I came out to the floor and I saw there was one line that was three times the line of everyone else's. It was Johnny's line. It was cleared on the frozen food aisle. And so I kind of started panicking. I'm like, what in the world? Like, what's happening here? So I started getting other cashiers to open up other lines. I went to the line. Other people in the back was like, hey, we opened other lines. You can go there. You don't have to wait. And person after person after person said, it's all right. I'll wait. I want to get Johnny's thought of the day. One, one woman told the store manager, you know, I, I used to just come here about once a week. But now I come shopping every time I'm in the area just so I can get Johnny's thought of the day. And, and, and the store manager says, and that's not it. That's not it, Barbara. You know, other people are being infected by Johnny's kindness. You know, the, the workers in the floral department, they decided, you know, they used to just throw away all the broken flowers, the old corsages. But now when they got a broken flower and old corsage, they go find an elderly woman. Or they find a young lady and they pin it on him. The, the, the guy, one of the guys in our meat department, he's following Johnny's lead. He loves Snoopy. He loves Snoopy. And so he bought 50,000 Snoopy stickers. And when he slices people meat, he puts in a bag and he slaps a Snoopy sticker on it just to make their day. You know, the, the cart guys, the, the, the cart guys, they, they've engineered carts that have wheels that don't go do 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 that didn't happen. I made that part up. That, that actually didn't happen. I wish, I wish, okay, but that didn't happen. The, the floor department, okay, the meat department, that actually happened, though. And just think. Like, who, who was the most influential employee in that store for several months? It was Johnny the Bagger, the one who didn't think he had much to offer. So I don't know about you, how you're feeling about yourself as a leader. And you might think, I don't have much to offer. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you've got light and you've got love to share with the world around you. So I don't know what your next step is today when it comes to being a spiritual leader, being a force for good in this world. But maybe, maybe it's to find somebody who's at work. Maybe it's someone at this church, a young student, and just take them under your wing. Disciple them. Help them grow in their faith, grow in their influence. Maybe for you it's getting coaching, right? Saying, I want to grow, but I need somebody to give me some feedback so I can grow. I need to be discipled. Maybe it's asking somebody to disciple you. Maybe for you, you're like, I want to be a leader that knows the way, goes the way, and shows the way. But if you don't know the way, like, Jesus said he was the way, the truth, and the life. If you don't know the way, you don't know the way. You, you won't know how to lead people spiritually towards Jesus if you don't know the way. If you've never surrendered your life to Christ in the waters of baptism, I want to challenge you to consider that to be your next step. You know, when you read leadership books like Jim Collins, Good to Great, Built to Last, or Extreme Ownership by Leif Babin and Jocko Willinks, they talk about what, what's a key characteristic of a leader? And they say one thing that's consistent of all these level five leaders, these, these very influential leaders, is humility. It's these guys that have the ability, these guys and these, these women, that have the ability to admit when they're wrong. To take the blame when they're wrong. And even when it's not their fault, but it is someone underneath them, when it's a, a team member of theirs, they'll say, I'll take ownership of that. That was my bad. 
because I was leading those people. And they will fall on the sword for their team. He says, that's what great leadership looks like. And you know who has done that for us? It's Jesus has done that for us. Right? Jesus has said, okay, yes, you've messed up. Yeah, you made the mistake, but I'm going to go to the cross for that. I'm going to take the blame. I am going to take the fall because I'm your leader. The question is, have you made him the leader of your life? Have you surrendered your life to King Jesus? If you've not done that, I pray that you would do that today. Come talk to me. Come talk to Preston, another leader. But what it means to be baptized, surrender your life to him, to make him the leader of your life. Whatever your next step is, whatever he's calling you to do, to be a spiritual leader like Jesus, I pray that you would hear his voice and obey. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for sending your son, Jesus. To model to us what greatness in your kingdom looks like. Not to be served, but to serve. And to give your life as a ransom for many, Jesus. We thank you for that. God, I know that it's man, intimidating, right? It's intimidating a lot of days trying to get up and trying to lead others. And so God, I pray that you would help us to rest in your love. To rest in the fact that, that we don't have to prove anything. We don't got, we got anything to prove. We don't nobody to impress. We're just trying to reflect you and your light to the world around us. So give us the confidence that comes with knowing who we are, your dearly loved children. Fill us up with your Holy Spirit. Give us, give us the power, the motivation, the enthusiasm through your spirit to be able to lead other people closer to you this week. It's in Jesus' name that we pray.